0: Welcome to Sanctuary Church on Spotify. I hope you enjoy.
1: So, um, there are a few of you here that, um, that I really didn't expect to see this morning. I I was kind of shocked, um, I have to tell you that. Um, most of them are Green Bay Packer fans. And I've just, God bless you for being here. This is probably where you should be after last night's game, um, but it is really great to see you all here and be part of this. So let's get started. So for the next four weeks, or next, actually two weeks, this will be the second week, we are in this book, uh, this letter of Colossians. And Paul, I'm going to kind of go back over where we started and where we're coming up. So I'm kind of going to go back and just kind of rewind. It's like, it's like turning on a series and they say, would you like to know what happened in the series before this? We'll give you the highlights. Well, this is the highlights of the last two weeks ago. So, Paul has come up with this idea, he's using this word gospel, gospel, because it's a military term. It, it, it actually, and Paul is borrowing it, and he's actually subverting it to use what would be considered the empire language to talk about Jesus. See, there was this understanding that the gospel, the good news, was about military dominance, that Rome would always put the good news out, the gospel out, after they had conquered somebody. And Paul's using it and saying, "Listen, listen! You can talk about you can talk about Rome conquering, but I'm talking about Jesus conquering. Jesus is conquering people's hearts and minds and spirit. And so, this is a very, very uh, political connection here. It's he's actually saying it's 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 not about violence." It's actually about suffering. It's about giving life, not taking life. He's changing a political hard reality that we are still kind of hardwired into. That, that we think that we can only change people's minds by guns or spears or knives or cannons. That, that Jesus and the story and the gospel of Jesus is that, no, 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 we change by sacrifice and love, which is completely against the realities, political realities we have today. This idea of somehow that the political and religious time that was going on, the first century, that Jesus is talking about politics Of that time. And listen, I know that, you know, there are many times we get together and we put politics and Christianity together and they make really ugly bedfellows. I mean, they really go south quickly. The marriage of them sometimes just doesn't work. And it's hard to deal with those things because this idea that this gospel is that it is good news. And so what happens is, as we talked about this a couple weeks ago, is that we, we paint the gospel either blue or red, whichever we see or whichever we are affiliated with. That you're not really a Christian unless you're on the blue side or you're not really a Christian unless you're on the red side. And this is always a perversion of the gospel. That the gospel is larger than any two parties could ever be that painting it into one corner or the other is true heresy. That whichever side that is, I ask them please to repent and stop that. That the gospel is larger than that. Yeah. So we can't remove the gospel from public life There is a political reality that what influences our heart and our soul and our mind. We are all concerned about poverty. We are all concerned about war. We're all concerned about healthcare. We're all concerned about education. And see, this is what's deeply embedded in what Jesus is speaking about. That we are supposed to care for the least of those that we are supposed to visit people within prison, we're supposed to clothe the naked, we're supposed to feed those who are hungry, that that these are all things that are deeply connected to the gospel of Jesus. So we cannot allow one political party or the other to co-opt this gospel. We just got to stop this. And first thing we can do is we can make a distinction between politics and partisanship that the gospel of Jesus Christ is a political gospel, but it is not partisan towards one side or the other. It is political because it deals with these hard, cold facts of our world, that there are people in need, there are people that are crying out, there are people that we need to rescue, there are people that we need to take care of, there are people that need to be clothed. And this is what we're called to do. And to challenge the empire at that time, to challenge what the meaning is of the empire. If the goals of the empire, which at that time Rome, was money, wealth, and security, the goal of the gospel was peace and reconciliation and justice. And so we have to see how those measure out which is which and which do we feel peace and reconciliation, and justice. And how do we achieve these? Because they are so different. We don't achieve the gospel by military violence. We achieve the gospel by giving life, not taking it. And that's what's so difficult for people to understand. How does that work? How does that look? How does that... How do you do that? But it's what Jesus did. So here we go. We start with this idea that this is a very political view that that Paul is speaking into. And if there seems to be overlaps into our society and our culture now, yes, (laughs) there may be. But when you read Colossians and you read Colossians with the only understanding of that it is a spiritual text, and I'm going to read it as a spiritual text, you miss what Paul is saying. You miss what's going on. Because sometimes we just read the Bible like, oh, isn't that nice? They said that and they said that. And it's like, wait, wait, wait. You don't understand. You need to understand the context, the history, what's going on. What is is moving people about this? How dangerous it is what he's saying. This is why he's in prison. So this morning, we start off with what's basically a poem. It's actually called a doxology. And it's one of the things that's so, much in, that's so interesting about this is that it was, it was written, this poem was very, it was actually written about this time. And it would be something that people would be very familiar with. So today, we're going to read this in the message, which is more um, of a newer newer translation. uh, And and so we'll read it in that direction. Okay, please.
0: This is sort of headed. Christ holds it all together. We look at the sun and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at the sun and see God's original purpose in everything created for everything, rank after rank of angels. Everything got started in him and finds his purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and he holds it all together, right up until this very moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together, sort of like a head does to a body. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade, he's supreme to the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything and everyone. So spacious is he, so expansive, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and the dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies. And this is the word of the Lord.
1: Praise be to God. So what's so great about this? What is brilliant about this? What is just like unbelievable that Paul would put this down in his letter is that this, this, is, a, this is basically a poem that has been written and circulated around it's something that you would have known you would have heard you would have gone, oh i know what exactly what he's talking about the, the 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 thing about this is that this poem was not about jesus see the poem is that he's in the image of god he was the firstborn uh he was given first place he was equal to the beginning of all things he restored the order and he began life and vitality, therefore he is God's manifestation. And the savior, he puts an end to war. So this poem, this poem that everyone would know, that normally wouldn't be in the Bible, when you read it, you definitely go, well, this is about Jesus, right? This is about Jesus. This is what it sounds like, right? Jesus, first one, son, you know, God. No, it was about Caesar. This was a poem about Caesar. Caesar was not just the son of God, he was God. So what Paul's putting in here is he's going like, wait, 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 wait. You say this about Caesar? It's really about Jesus. It's really, this is so politically (laughs) beaten into this, that people will be going, oh my gosh, I can't believe he said that. See, this Rome at this time was really good, really good at propaganda. I mean, they were really, really good at that. They understood that to capture your imagination, to get your imagination, I had to use banners, I had to use coins, I had to use all slogans. And I'm so glad we're past that now. You know, we we don't fall for that stuff anymore, do we? So so Rome constantly had Caesar's head on the coins. He had sayings that he is God, this understanding, and suddenly Paul is saying, wait, let me explain to you. He does not represent God. He is not God. He is not the Savior. He does not put an end to war. Pax Romana. The idea of I bring peace at the end of a sword. You either agree with me or we kill you. This was the Roman thought. This was, this was it. It was brutality. It was incredible bloodshed. And so Paul is going up against this and saying, Rome does not bring you peace, but Jesus brings you peace. And it's not based on the empire wanting to create and increase their tax base and their power. It's not based on the idea of cruel, horrible brutality, but it's based on the idea that God brings peace, that God brings peace. So Paul takes this poem and he subverts it to saying it's not about Caesar, that that poem that you know, that thing that it's not about Caesar, it's about Jesus. It's about visible peace on earth. Not just peace within us, but peace on earth. That, that this peace is being brought. That those that the power of Christ being the firstborn, the creation, created in the image of God, brings peace. The invisible God, the God that we know, we feel, we see see the movement of God. But here's Jesus, the actual image of God. And this is mind-blowing for these people at this time. Doesn't God want to punish me? Doesn't God want me to do something wrong and God's going to be right there? No, God is pouring out God's love to you and God's grace to you. See, this understanding of, of peace that Paul is bringing is this idea of sacrifice and love, that we sacrifice the things that we have for the love of others. That, that Jesus gave his life to show how much love... I mean, you know, the idea of Jesus being crucified and as he's being crucified, as he's being... The idea of him saying to God, please forgive them for they do not know what they do. That love, that deep love It challenges everything that we know. See, the understanding that God loves us so much, that God loves you just who you are, that God meets you right here, right now, that God has been there for you. And when you look back in your life and you go, I didn't see God in my life there, but now I do see that God was there. And I see there where I turned away from God. (laughs) I see it easily. See, what we have to talk about is that how does this look like to us today? We need to be careful. We need to be careful. Because our concern... Is that we, we do not believe that we are the great liberator for 70 years we've said this. That we bring the fruits of democracy to free the world and defeat evil. And over and over again we have all these images that are distilled. Part of us and part of what we need to do as Christians is that we own our dark side. We own our dark stuff. You know, the things that we've done. You know, that we own them. I was on the phone to a young girl in Germany. It was a national public radio, and they were doing an interview, and we were talking. And I said, "You know, now we're through with this interview. Can I ask you a few questions?" And she said, "Sure, of course, of course, of course." I said, "Okay, so um, the Holocaust. The Holocaust. What? Hey, guys, up there. Shh, we can hear you. Okay." And that was my wife. <laughs> so I'm on the, I'm on the a conversation with this girl from uh, like an NPR type of station from Germany. And I asked her, I said, I said what about the Holocaust? How do, you, how do you deal with that? Do you just pretend like it didn't happen? You know, or do you teach it in school? Do you, I mean, do you actually teach it in school? And she said, oh, of course we do. In fact, every student's required to go to one of the concentration camps. But that's expected. That we're concerned that if we don't own what we did, we may do it again. Man, to own that, to own that. To own what that's all about, the death, destruction, And so I think sometimes it's important for us in this country to own our stuff, to own our things. That we have some dark sides that we continue to not really own or hold up. And so therefore, I don't think we can repent and I don't think we can be forgiven. And that is what we're asking to do is to repent and be forgiven. And there are things that we don't want to bring up, But I believe that this country is greater than that. I believe deeply in this country. And I think that what we need to do is we need to own those parts and pieces. You know, slavery was a horrible thing that this country did, participated in, practiced having husbands and wives separated, children sold off, people beaten and killed. And maybe part of it is understanding that we do have some darkness and that we need to open hearts to what we have done in the past. Some of the things that we did to the indigenous people of our country There are things that we need to ask forgiveness for and not be afraid to look at it. I believe that we are greater than our past sins. I have great faith in this country. I have great faith that we can become more and more people of sacrifice and love that we can bring hope into this world, but we need to accept that we have a dark side and we so easily go that direction. We invaded a country that had nothing to do with 9-11. You know, let's just say it. I don't want to know how many Americans died doing that. I don't want to know how many people died on the other side of that but accepting it and saying we can be better and we can do better. God, we, we ask your forgiveness. We ask you to forgive us and guide us. We've done things that we don't even wanna look at that we do everything we can to acknowledge that we didn't do that. Let us open our hearts to what we've done. Grow into people that are more like you. Faith and love. Living in wholeness. Pray this in your name. Guide us as your children. Amen.. My brothers and sisters, may you may you be filled with the love of God. Be so filled that it pours out into this world that needs so much now. May you understand that God is doing something larger here than we can see or understand. May you be filled with grace and pour that grace out into the world. We pray this in your name. Amen.